أعوذ بالله من الشيطان اللعين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي جعلنا من المتمسكين بولاية أمير المؤمنين ولئمة المعصومين عليهم السلام والحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله ثم الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين خاتم النبيين شفيع المذنبين حبيب الله العالمين بالقاسم المصطفى محمد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين ولعنة الله على أعدائهم أجمعين من يوم عداوتهم إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فقد قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الحكيم وهو أصدق القائلين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اصبروا وَصَابِرُوا وَرَابِطُوا وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ صَدَقَ اللَّهُ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمُ صَلَوَاتِ السلام علیکم جمعیان ورحمت اللہ وبرکاتہ I begin in the name of Allah, the most kind, the most merciful it's due to that kindness and mercy that we get these opportunities where we gather in remembrance and glorification of Him, Tabaraka wa Ta'ala. Then we send our condolences to our living Imam Al-Hujjah, Ajalallahu Ta'ala Farajahu Sharif. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. And to each and every one of you as we gather tonight to commemorate the Istishad anniversary of Sayyidah Fatima Al-Ma'asuma bint Imam Al-Kadhim alayhima afdalu salatu wa salam. Ma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we each get an opportunity to go for the ziyarat of Sayyidah in Qum and that we receive her shafaat in the hereafter insha'Allah. Sayyidah alayhi salam as we mentioned was one of the children of Imam Al-Kadhim alayhi salam and she um, is said to have been born in the year 173 after Hijrah on the first of Dhul Qa'dah. Now just to see how well you were listening, how much younger is she to Imam Ar-Ridha alayhi salam? Hmm? Oh, I thought you gave out a number, no? It's okay, it's Sunday, you know. <laughs> Imam alayhi salam was born, was born in the year 148 after Hijrah. Yeah? Um, and that makes her 25 years younger um, than the Imam alayhi salam. So obviously between the, the, the eighth Imam and uh, Sayyidah, there were many other children that the Imam alayhi salam had. Um, but we see then also is why Sayyidah Ma'asuma was so strongly attached to Imam Ar-Rida There was almost a second father figure um, that was present, you know, and we see something very similar um, in Karbala too, isn't it? That um, the relationship 
that Zainab السلام, had with Abbas, for example. There was a significant age gap between them two where she was the one who mothered him, nurtured him as he, as he grew up as well. And so there was this very strong bond and connection. Uh, we see a lot of parallels, you know, between Sayyidah Masuma and Sayyidah Zainab السلام, especially in her journey, alaykum salam, when she goes out to meet her brother. Um, she was given many titles and of course the titles that she was presented with were all from the infallibles. So it was um, something for us to reflect about and something for us to realize its, um, its truth. Right? Because today um, we can provide titles to people but we are basing it from our own limited perspective. Right? So I only know you based on what I know about you and if someone asks me that what do you know about him? I'll say he seems to be a good person. But when an imam says that fulan is a good person, that means that person is truly a good person, right? Um, so we see that our imams alayhim um, gave them or gave her uh, tremendous titles and tremendous respect. Some of the titles, of course, the most popular being ma'asuma, um, meaning that she possessed this sinless nature where she was infallible. Um, other titles given to her were tahira, the one who is pure, Hamida, the one who is praiseworthy or who praises, um, Taqiyya, the one who is God-conscious or God-fearing, Radiya, the one who is pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and of course, Mardiya, the one who is, um, ple- that God is pleased with as well. As far as her status, and again, these are things that we, I'm sure, repeat every year, but these are some of my favorite traditions that are foretelling her coming. Right? Um, so for example, we get a tradition from um, our sixth Imam, As-Sadiq alayhi salam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Where he says, Tuqbadu fiha imra'atum min wuldi. Ismuha Fatima. Binti Musa. So he says that in Tuqbad fiha, that in, um, in it, there will be someone who is buried. Now, fiha here is referring to qum. He doesn't mention it because it's a lengthy tradition. Um, but he says that in it, in, in qum, um, there will be someone buried from my progeny. Uh, a lady from my progeny, Ismuha, her name would be Fatima, the daughter of Musa. وَتَدْخُلُوا بِشَفَاعَتِهَا شَفَاعَتِهَا شِيعَةِ الْجَنَّةِ بِأَجْمَعِهِمْ InshaAllah. And he says that by her shafa'a, by her intercession, my Shias will be successful and enter paradise. This is a, it's an amazing status, right? Because... Again, like as I mentioned, it, it comes from an infallible, right? Um, and there are other traditions like this as well. But this is something that I want us to think about. That an infallible, like I mentioned, wouldn't just give a random title like this to someone. Uh, even if it be their own family. Because we have examples of family members from the Ahlul Bayt's lineage who ended up being not so good, right? Like the, the brothers of Imam Al-Qadim, uh, Imam Al-Qadim who... Um, we were told who actually fought for wealth with the Imam when it came to Khums money because uh, of what uh, he left towards Imam al-Radha or what his father left to him as well. Um, and this is where we see divisions within Shiaism happen because of Khums and because of other charitable things. But when one gives this type of title, um, 
it represents two things. It represents um, their knowledge or their their stamping, approval, I guess you can say, of this person's characteristics. That's number one. But it also represents what God thinks about them. right? Because they speak um, what Allah wants them to speak. And so when they say that she is someone who is praised, she is someone who with her shafa'a will enter paradise, it's because God has permitted that status to be given to her. And so we see a tremendous honor given to her, right? And and again, like I feel like you can see the, the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, in her that today Qum is the center of Islamic learning, you know? Um, and that's a status that God is approved of, you know? And that is something that when, when someone is um, the center of that, she is the center of that, you know? Like in Najaf, Imam Ali is the center of that. In, in Sham, where I was, say the Zainab was the center of that. And if these personalities did not exist there, there would be nothing there, right? Um, and so these, these titles really, I guess what I want to say before we move on to our subject, um, is that these honors and these titles that are given to them are not arbitrary, right? They're given to them because they possess within them tremendous characteristics. Um, and one of these characteristics that has to be in there is the characteristic of sabr, right? Because um, it is a root or a fundamental cornerstone, a peg within the characteristics of a human being. And we see the manifestation of her sabr as she tries to um, join her brother and what she had to deal with and how she dealt with it, as we'll talk about in the end, inshallah. But I want to continue with this discussion of sabr, because when we honor any personality um, like these, um, there's no doubt that sabr is a key characteristic that is involved in their life. So we've talked about patience now, or sabr, for three lectures, right? And today will be the fourth, and there will be two more, inshallah. What we said about sabr that I think is really important from the last lecture is that sabr, um, the definition of sabr is to be is to be steadfast and persevere at the face of difficulties and trials, right? For you to be steadfast or persevere in the face of difficulties and trial. Um, but when you get that definition, sometimes um, the impression that that leaves is that when you say someone is steadfast and persevere and they're persevering, it almost sounds like they're not acting. Right? There, there's no action from them. It's like they're persevering. They're 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 shant, mashallah. They are they're not talking. They're they're holding it in. But that's not what sabr is, right? Um, sabr is is really an internal characteristic. Okay, it's not how it manifests itself externally, right? So sabr is. Um, an internal characteristic um, that is filled with, we said, itma'anan, comfort, comfort, tranquility. So my internal nature is tranquil. And that tranquility um, allows me to see the entire picture. And based on that, I will decide whether I should act or not act. You guys understand? Yeah? This is really important. Right? So sabr is not about this person, mashallah, he didn't reply back, he is sabr. He is sabir, for example. That's not the definition of sabr, right? I, for example, may be shy, for example. I, for example, may be, um, what's that when a person um, doesn't like to be there, 
there's a word for it in psychology, right? They're introverted, right? So because I am introverted, for example, I may not feel like talking. And people will look at me and say, Oh, mashallah, bo, bo sabar right? He's, he's mashallah filled with sabar. When that's not really the case, I'm just introverted. I don't like to talk, right? So it's really an internal characteristic that no matter what's happening, I'm in a state of tranquility. I'm in a state of calmness. And based on that tranquility, I can literally see and, and, and see everything that's happening around me. And then based on that full picture, that full panoramic, panoramic picture, I will decide whether I want to act or not. And even if I act, I would still be someone who is patient in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even if I don't act, I will be considered like I am patient. I want us to understand that. This is really significant, okay? Because it should then change the way we view patience, right? Um, don't judge patience based on action or non-action. I think that's a really important point for us to understand. Now, the flip side to patience, we said, um, is what's known in Arabic as jaza'ah. Okay, that's the opposite of sabr. And jaza'ah means anxiety or apprehension. Okay, when a person is anxious, when a person is always worried, worried about what? They're worried about what's going to happen. They're worried about whether I'll get this job. They're worried about how I'll pay this. They're worried about this. They're worried about that. It's this anxiety that fills me up inside, that clouds my judgment, and does not allow me to act in the right way, and therefore I will act impatiently. That's the opposite of sabr in Islam. The opposite of patience is not impatience. But the opposite of patience is anxiousness in Islam. It's apprehension. Because it's apprehension that makes me act impatiently. Again, remember, patience is not an action. right? Um, neither is anxiousness. But when I'm filled with anxiety, I want to, I want to find a solution. Right? And so in my rush to find a solution, I will act in ways that later I will regret, that only if I had been more patient, I would say, for example. Right? Um, and so this is something that I want us to um, understand. Now, jaza'a, as I said, is translated as anxiousness. Now, this anxiousness that we're talking about, we want to talk about it today and on the next lecture, inshallah. Because it is slightly complicated anxiety right now many of us there are people who will have um, anxiety with everything with everything um, not a permanent state of anxiety I would say but rather whenever there is an unknown they are filled with anxiety right how come this email hasn't come through so now I'm I'm, I'm panicking a bit right um, my child has the sniffles. I'm going to Google it. Why does my child have the sniffles? Baba, relax. The child has the sniffles. You know what I mean? But I'm filled with anxiety, right? Like, I'm always like, oh my God, why? Oh my God, why? Oh my God, why? And so there are people who are in that state quite a bit in their lives. And then when that episode is finished, they're able to regain their mental health, I would say. And then they will say to themselves, ah, I wish I hadn't been anxious at that time. Look, everything worked out fine. So you see that at that moment, they're able to regain their mental health 
and look back and say, ah, I wish I didn't waste that because you realize it was wasted energy at that time, right? Um, you understand what I'm saying, right? You can, you can picture the examples that I'm giving, right? And you can picture any other examples you want. But this happens to many of us, right? That we're always in some form of anxiety. Um, and so, but there are people who are like that for everything. And then there are others who are anxious when it comes to certain key things that are important to them. So for example, um, finances. Finances is always something which hampers people, which hurts, which, which bothers the minds of people, right? Um, and they'll always be, for example, um, they get paid every two weeks. The last three or four days, nearly everybody who's living paycheck to paycheck, the last three or four days, you're on pennies, you know? Uh, and you're like, okay, when's this next check going to come? When's this next, oh God, please let there not be a bill. Oh God, please let there not be uh, my car breaking down. And we're in that state of anxiety, right? Because finances is a big deal for me, for example. For other people, it could be um, exams at school. For other people, it could be something else. But it, when again, when that finishes, again, they regret being in a state of anxiety because they said it was wasted energy. Right, um, So you find that um, we all, I think, from time to time or circumstance to circumstance feel a bit of anxiety in our lives. Right? Now ideally, we shouldn't. Right? Ideally, we shouldn't. Right? And we'll talk about why. Um, and we may be clear for many why. We shouldn't even have that bit of anxiety. Right? But it's a very humanistic quality. In most instances, human beings are able to, after that episode is finished, realize that they shouldn't have been anxious in the first place because it didn't make any sense, nor, more importantly, did me being anxious help the situation. Never has anxiety helped the situation. You can't say that, oh, alhamdulillah, I was anxious and it worked. Never like that. You would always regret it to say that I wasted energy in being anxious. Now. The reason why I'm taking my time with the subject of anxiety um, and I'm speaking very carefully is because um, how, how we understand anxiety today um, is a little bit different than how anxiety is explained in Islamic literature. Okay? Anxiety in Islamic literature um, many times will be explained as um, lack of iman. Okay, but in today's day and age, and it's correct, the anxiety that the Islamic books are talking about is an example of lack of iman. And again, we're going to dissect this, right? Um, but today, what we understand about anxiety is that when that anxiety that I have, when I cannot cope with it, when after that episode is finished, I cannot revert back to a state of mental health, and my anxiety continues, there is a high likelihood that I can develop mental illness. Right? And I can develop what's known as anxiety disorders. Now again, we're just talking about anxiety. There's a the mental disorder is a, is a huge field, right? Um, for those who heard my, first, my second khutbah last Friday, we're talking about mental illness in Juma now. And we're going to cover it for about five or six weeks. It's a touchy subject, right? Um, because we can't sound insensitive about it uh, and we have to be pragmatic about it. It's a really tough, t 
tough thing to talk about, to be honest. I'm struggling of how to describe it best without coming off as being, um, without abandoning Islamic principles and without sounding insensitive. You understand? Um, but we'll, we'll get through it with the help of Allah, inshallah, right? Um, here, I want, us to, uh, I want us to appreciate this, that anxiety disorders is a real thing. Is a real thing, right? Um, it can include, for example, panic attacks. I had, uh, when we did the peace camp, I think I've given this example, um, there was a girl who was about seven, or eight or nine, who had panic attacks, real to God panic attacks, where she would have to, in a crowded room of 30 kids, she couldn't handle being in that room. So she had to go outside and be by herself because she would break down. And she has a psychiatrist, she has... ER visitations because of this. So you can't just look at this and be like, ah, lack of Iman is doing it. No, it can't be that, right? She's nine. What does Iman have to do with like a nine-year-old here? You know what I mean? It developed from something, whether it was genetics, whether whatever it was. Um, so sometimes anxiety disorders can take its form through panic attacks, for example, um, where people... Um, either through claustrophobic, they feel claustrophobic, they feel like they're being pressured. So um, sometimes it includes um, selective mutism, where you'll find that people in certain situations will just shut down and they will not talk, they will not be able to communicate. Um, and you know, when we're not trained for this, um, when we're not trained for this, we may not be able to handle it correctly. Um, I'll tell you, like, I'll be really honest with you. Like, so when I learned this, I'm learning as, as, as I'm going with this, right? And then I look back at some of my madrasa years, for example. I can actually think about a few students who may have had selective mutism, who because they were feeling anxious, they just shut down. And because they never informed me, and because I was ignorant of it, I thought this person just doesn't know how to participate in class, for example. You understand? This is like something that is real. And when we were not prepared for it, we don't know how to cope with it. So we're going to put a label on them that this person gets a zero for participation because this person never talked. But that's probably not what it is. There's probably a symptom there, right? And it just hasn't been properly diagnosed for us to deal with it or to treat it. And this is why like, this is such an important subject that we can't just hide about it anymore. We can't just not talk about it anymore. We have to realize that there are people who are suffering. In the statistics we gave, one in four Canadians will suffer from some form of mental illness. One in four. One in eight will be so bad that they will require professional help. One in eight will require professional help. One in four will suffer from it. 34% of high school students say that they're undergoing anxiety and depression. 34% of high school students. Yeah, That's one in three of our children of that age are suffering through that. We're not exempt from it. We have to talk about it. We have to learn about it, right? Um, now, how does it manifest itself? It manifests itself through feeling nervous, um, restless, increased heart rate, sweating, trembling, having trouble sleeping. These are all ways in which my anxiety will manifest itself. Now we're only talking about anxiety because that's what our subject is. So what I want us to try and do today is that 
When I talk about anxiety from an Islamic perspective, I want us to be able to separate the anxiety that I'm talking about versus anxiety disorders. You understand? I want us to be able to make a clear divide between the two. Because if you can't make a divide between the two, you will think I'm being insensitive to someone who has anxiety disorders. Do you understand? Right? If you understand that, Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. So when you think about the anxiety that I'm talking about, common day anxiety, that how come this person didn't say salam to me? How come this person didn't reply to my text? How come this person didn't do that? These are everyday anxieties that you and I suffer through, right? Um, there are two ways to understand or to treat something. There's obviously the spiritual way and then the physical way, right? Um, for someone who's going through anxiety disorders, they heavily need both. They need the spiritual treatment and they need the physical treatment. But for some, they may actually have to begin with the physical treatment because it's gone that far progressed. Right? So they may need to start doing certain breathing exercises. They may start need to um, do some meditation. Um, some may need medication. I don't know, right? But uh, I'm not a physical doctor, right? I may be a spiritual doctor, but I'm not a physical doctor. So I can't tell you that. But if you, for example, are looking into your own heart and saying that, man, I do suffer from anxiety disorders, right? I do shut down. I do this. I do that. Um, you need to seek professional help. And don't be shy about it. Don't be shy about it, right? You need to seek spiritual help too. But don't be shy from seeking a, a professional help. You need dawa and da. Yeah? You need dua and dawa, sorry. You need dua and you need medication um, to work together. We're talking about what's the origination of this anxiety that I feel. The plain vanilla anxiety. Let's just call it that. Okay? Um, the plain vanilla anxiety, I'm only going to be describing its spiritual um, start. Okay? Um, so we're looking at the spiritual start. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Holy Quran in Surah number 70, verses 19 through 23. 70, 19 through 23. He says, A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ جَزُوعًا وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الْخَيْرُ أَحْسَنْتُمْ مَنُوعًا Allah says, indeed man has been created covetous. Okay? He has been created covetous. What does that mean? He has been created desirous. He covets things. He desires for things. And when because of that, Allah says, that when ill befalls him, when shar touches him, when shar evil comes to him, he becomes jazu'a. Jazu'a is the same root of jaza'a, anxious. Right? Allah says that because of their covetous nature, when something bad happens to that person, they become anxious, they become apprehensive, they become nervous. Right? And when something good happens their way, they become stingy, Allah says. They don't want to share that. They said, no, this is, this is mine, right? Um, it's very interesting. Allah here, subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's saying that man has been created desirous, 
right? And we can all attest to that. We're all covetous. You can see that from the time that we're children, we can see it in children. Um, in fact, you can see it in infants, right? Um, that this, this covetous nature is there. You take two infants, um, one years old, one and a half years old, and you give both of them a pen, they'll want each other's pen. Baba, you have a pen, you'll tell them. Baba, you have one. You'll be like, no, I want that one. Why? Because you're seeing something that someone else has and that seems more attractive, right? Um, and you see that. So that's when you see it in infants like that, you know that this is a natural trait that human beings have. Otherwise, infants wouldn't have it at that age. And that only becomes stronger, right, as we grow older because we never really controlled it. So our entire life, um, I'm constantly chasing material things because that's what attracts me. I'm constantly desirous for this. So I see you driving this car, I made a mental note, that's the next car I'm driving, right? I see you wearing those clothes or, and this is how ads work, right? Advertisements work like, okay, I'm giving you personal examples, but this is how the advertisement market is so huge. They know that human beings are covetous. So you present something and they'll go and buy it. You had a celebrity wearing it, now everybody wants it, right? And so this is how the covetous nature of human beings work. And Allah has described it, that we are covetous. Now, when a human being, follow me through this, right? This is beautiful. Um, when a human being chases their covetous nature with material things, they at times will find satisfaction with that material chase. So for example, I chase money. Um, I, pay, I chase a high-paying job, I get it. That high-paying job allows me to buy lots of things, right? Allows me a car, allows me a house, maybe it allows me to get a nice marriage and everything's done, my wedding was really big and proper, right? And so that chasing of that material desires has gotten me um, certain results, certain positive results. Now, when that material chase doesn't come through anymore, I have nowhere else to turn except I will become anxious and apprehensive because I don't have any other connections besides that material thing. You understand? I jumped somewhere really fast. Did you get it or no? Yeah? Let me explain it again, right? If in that material thing is where my satisfaction is, and that's all I know, that's all I know, right? When that takes, when that's, gets taken away from me, I don't have anything else to rely upon but that thing. But now it's gone. So I lose my job. I don't have anything else to rely upon. I get filled with anxiety, right? To that extent where many people will commit suicide because there's nothing else for them to rely on besides that material thing. And that material thing is gone now. You understand? That's the problem with human beings. The problem with human beings that Allah is describing here is that you have become overly attached to material things. And so you expect material things to provide you all the answers. But the material things will not provide you all the answers, God is saying. You need to have a higher connection to something else that you can always rely on. Right? But when we don't have that higher level of connection that we can always rely on, then I will always become anxious when those material things are no longer fulfilling those things that I need in my life. You understand? Which is why Allah says very beautifully, if you look at the same verses, 
He says, Innal insana khulika halua. Man has been created covetous. Ida masahu sharru jazua. And when evil falls upon them, they get anxious. Wa ida masahul khairu manua. And when goodness comes to them, they become stingy. Ya Allah, is everyone like this? Illa al musalleen, God says. Illa al musalleen. Except for those who are connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understand? Except for those who are connected to God. Why? Because if you are connected to God, then whatever you are desiring is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not the material thing. Yeah? And so when I get that wealth, I realize that that wealth has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And so whether that wealth is there or that wealth is not there, I don't rely on the wealth. I rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understand? Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. And so from a spiritual perspective, this vanilla anxiety okay, um, is a demonstration that my connection to God is not strong enough. When God says, trust me, I will provide for you. And then I'm still anxious as to how I'm going to get or how I'm going to survive. It's a demonstration that I need to strengthen my connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understand? Yeah? Now it's not easy. Who said life is easy, yeah? Who said this is why like to be a mu'min is is tough, you understand? Um, when I am anxious about whether this person will hire me or not. It's a demonstration that my, my strength in Allah needs to be, my connection to Allah needs to be a bit strengthened, just a bit strengthened, right? Because God will take care of these things. God will take care of all of these things. And if my, if my connection is strong, then it, it doesn't matter if I get the job or I don't get the job. It doesn't matter. You see, like sometimes like we think that when my connection is strong, I'll get everything I want. Then my connection is not correct. I'm plugged in backwards. You know what I mean? Um, if I was plugged in the way I'm supposed to be plugged in, then the results aren't important. It's my connection that's important. It's my satisfaction that's important. You understand? So this is where it, it doesn't... I'm trying to make it sound not as harsh as... Uh, as uh, because it does sound harsh. If I were to say like that's that's an indication your iman is low, it sounds harsh. So I'm trying to I'm trying to sugarcoat it, right? Um, now it's okay. Like I've said, there's so there's not a big deal, honestly. In my opinion, that if you find out your iman is low, it's not a big deal, honestly, because all it means is you got to pick it up. That's it. You got to pick it up, right? Um, I think it's much better for you to identify that your iman needs strengthening than thinking that my iman is strong. Because if I think my iman is strong, I'm not going to work hard. But if I think that my iman needs strengthening, I'm going to work harder at it, right? Now, I want to end with this point. In my khutbah, I said that when you find somebody has mental illness, don't blame it on iman. Don't blame it on lack of iman, right? Um, so how do we reconcile those two things? Okay, Here we just said that vanilla Anxiety is a demonstration that our iman needs to be strengthened. Here I said mental illness, don't blame it on iman. How do we reconcile these two, right? Um, 
So work with me on this. We're talking about mental illness here. Okay? Here we're talking about an akhlaki deficiency. We're talking about two separate things here. Okay? Akhlaki deficiency, when our iman is not strong, um, when we have characteristics that we did not develop, what is happening is that we are allowing ourselves to be bombarded with worldly things, with worldly tests, with worldly trials, to that extent where it can corrupt my entire being and lead to mental illness. Yeah? There are two separate things altogether. You understand or no? Y'all need to focus on me. Okay? Do you understand or no? There is a sep- there's a difference here, right? Um, where one is characteristics that need to be strengthened so I can have mental health. Another one is that if I don't strengthen these characteristics, I will allow the trials and the difficulties of this world to take over to where it will lead to mental health problems. Right? And so we're talking about two separate things. Here, yes, you can say your iman needs to be strengthened. But when I didn't strengthen it, then the environment took over on me, bad friends took over on me, um, abuse took over on me, lack of income took over on me, low housing took over on me, all of these things took over on me. And eventually it led me to a position where I do have mental illness now. But you can't blame that on lack of iman. Right? Um, at one time, you know, I know it sounds convoluted, right? But it's really not. You know, like for example, let me just give you an example. Um, like if you make cake, for example, right? You use flour to make cake, don't you? And then you mix in eggs and sugar and, and all of these things. Um, and when you eat the cake, you're either going to say it's good cake or bad cake. You're not going to say bad flour. You understand? You're not going to say, oh, mashallah, that was good flour you used. Where did you buy it from? No, you're not going to say that. You're going to compliment the cake. That's, that's what mental illness is. There were so many factors that led to one being mentally unstable that you can't say that it's lack of iman. You understand? Okay? And the second reason why I said what I said is that I need us as a community, if we are going to tackle this issue of mental illness, we need to not judge people. Yeah? We really need to not judge people. Okay? Um, and I say this to our elders in particular, yeah? um, who are so quick to judge people. Yeah? Um, we need to not blame. Right? We need to not blame. And you know, I'm going to say this as blunt as possible. As lay people, we should not be treating physical illnesses or diagnosing physical illnesses. And as lay people, we should not be diagnosing spiritual illnesses. Yeah? It's none of your business. You leave it to experts. Okay? You leave it to experts because experts will know how to deal with these things. Experts will know how to talk about these things. You just pray for people. Don't diagnose them. Okay? And I think if we can start doing that, then we are the right direction towards solving mental illness and solving these things. Today again, my brothers and sisters, right? We are talking about vanilla anxiety. I want us to be able to separate these two things. And if we do, inshallah, then we'll be able to strengthen our patience, which will help us in the long run. In the next lecture, we're going to talk about how to actually solve 
vanilla anxiety, right? How to solve these issues that we face to that will help me to become more patient. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. We come back to Sayyidah Fatima al-Ma'asuma alayhi salam and you know she as we mentioned was someone who was very close to Imam al-Rida alayhi salam and in the year 200 when Ma'amun ordered Imam al-Rida to go to Marv in the year 201 Sayyidah Ma'asuma wanted to join her brother and so she along with some of her brothers left Medina and headed towards Khurasan. We are told that in the journey towards Khurasan, she was attacked by Abbasid warriors. And many of her brothers died in that journey. And again, you know, you think about the connection between her and Sayyidina Zainab salam again. And we are told that in that journey, she was poisoned and that poisoned body did not allow her to go and meet her brother in Khurasan. And because of her health, she ended up in Qum where she remained for a few days and then she went to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, the status of Ma'asuma is such that she was fortunate that two of her, two Imams came and prayed at her janazah. Both the eighth Imam and the ninth Imam, we are told, were present in the janazah of Sayyidah Ma'asuma alayhi salam. You know, as I said, Sayyidah Fatima parallels to me Sayyidah Zainab alayhi salam a lot. And so today I want to say the musibah of Sayyidah Zainab as she makes her way back towards Medina. You know, my brothers and sisters, we are told that when Sayyidah Zainab alayhi salam was leaving Sham and when Yazid said that you are allowed to go, she says to Imam al-Sajjad, better Sajjad, we have not cried for your father as of yet. Tell this man to give us a place where we can gather and we can weep for our family members. And so they cried in Sham in their own privacy. Finally, after all of this time when they could not cry. And then when they came to Karbala, we are told that Zainab alayhi salam fell on the grave of Aba Abdullah. Fanadat wa Husayna wa Madluma. You know, we are told this very beautiful narration that says that when, very beautiful and heart-wrenching, no doubt, that when the Mal'oon Umar ibn Sa'ad, when he took the family on the day after Shami he purposely took them through the battlefield so that they could see the dead of their family. We are told that when they came by the body of Abba Abdullah, when they came by the trampled body of Abba Abdullah, when they came by the beheaded body of Abba Abdullah, Zainab looked at that body and said to it, Anta Akhil Hussein? Are you my brother Hussein? Our ulama tell us my brothers and sisters and I wonder by God I wonder that when Zainab came back after being whipped, after being hit, after being starved, when she fell on the body or the grave of Abba Abdullah, I wonder if Hussein shouted, Auntie Ukhti Zainab, are you my sister Zainab? 
What has happened to you? Zainab cried on the grave of Abba Abdullah. But Zainab was not done. It is said when the family returned back to Medina, the first place that Zainab went to was the grave of her grandfather Rasulullah. We are told she held on to the grave of her grandfather and she began Wa Muhammadah Wa Jadda Wa Rasulullah Hadha al-Husayn bil-Ara Maktu'a maktu'a al-A'adha Masloob al-Amamat wal-Rida That O Jadda Let me tell you how Hussein laid on the plains of Karbala without any cover. فَسَيَعْلَمُ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا وَيَمُونَ قَلَبِيًّا قَلِبُونَ وَالْآقِبَةٌ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ مَاتَ مَيْ حُسَيْنٍ